0: It's good to be back with you all once again, and I am excited to open God's Word here and continue our study in the book of Philippians called Joyful. And I am particularly excited about opening up this passage today because just pastorally, man, I just really feel like I'm trying to fight for y'all's hearts this morning, and um, This is a passage that really addresses anxiety and worry with amazing practical, pastoral, gospel-driven, disciple-making counsel. And I pray that today we would lean in a little bit and allow the Lord to minister to our hearts from his words. I've already preached this message. I was encouraged by it. I hope this morning, in the next few minutes, you too will be encouraged by God's word. So can we pray before we dive into the scripture this morning? Father, all glory be to your son. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. May you be exalted in this place this morning. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things from your law. Speak to us this morning. We need to hear your voice. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. According to the World Health Organization, WHO, one of the coolest acronyms ever, during the first year of the pandemic, anxiety and depression increased by a massive 25% globally. Also, according to one CDC report in late June of 2020, 31% 31% of respondents reported symptoms of anxiety and depression. 13% reported having started or increased substance abuse. 26% reported stress-related symptoms. And get this, 11% reported having serious thoughts of suicide in the last 30 days. These numbers are double the rates which you would have expected to see before pandemic. Then. On top of the fact that we have been in a pandemic for the last two years, you add all the normal challenges of life, financial pressures, relationship issues, job-related stress, uncertainty about the future, and you seem to have a perfect recipe for anxiety. In fact, let's take a little poll right now. How many of you would say in the last two years you have been anxious more than normal? How many of you would say that? Okay. All right. Yeah, strong representation there. Bunch of worry warts this morning. Awesome. Perfect message for you guys. That is precisely why our passage of scripture today is so incredibly relevant. Because in this short text, the apostle Paul under the authority of God himself holds out two earth-shattering promises of peace to anxious hearts. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you like that to be true of you? Or again, in verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. And remember, Paul's not writing from some ivory tower. He's not in the Apostles' Suite at the Hilton Rome, you know? He's not drinking from the mini bar or anything like that. He's in prison. He's writing this passage from prison, and yet in the midst of that, he says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus, and the God of peace will be with you. He is holding out this wonderful promise of peace even in unpeaceful situations. Can you say this simply with me? Peace is possible. Say that. Peace is possible. Do you believe that? How much do you believe that? (laughs) Because if we really believe that peace is possible, would we worry? Would we be anxious? Would we be fearful? No, if we really believe that peace is possible, we would fight for peace. Seems a little counterintuitive, right? Fight for peace. So even when your outlook appears grim, what should we say? Peace is possible. Even when you feel all alone what should we say peace is possible and even when your plans crumble and your world feels like it's falling apart guess what peace is possible which leads me to my point this morning we must believe that god's peace is possible no matter our circumstances no matter what god holds out this promise That peace is possible even when things around us are going to hell. This raises a question, doesn't it? How do we get that? Sounds awesome. It's possible. How does it become personal? How do I go from the sheer possibility or availability of peace to the accessibility of peace where it can be part of my life and my function and my experience? It's really nice to know that peace is out there somewhere. How do I get some of that for me? Well, fortunately for us, we don't have to speculate because right here in this passage, I believe the Apostle Paul lays out several strategies for pursuing peace. And that's what we're gonna look at in the next few minutes here. And let me warn you, every one of these points could be a whole message in and of themselves. So we're gonna go fast, all right? So I wanna share with you five strategies on how to pursue peace this morning. How to pursue peace, five strategies. The first one is simply this, number one, Rejoice! Now that is as counterintuitive as it may seem. I mean, how could you be more radically counterintuitive? You're like, wait, wait, I'm feeling worried. And Paul is saying, rejoice. How does that work? Well, look at the text. Verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, come on, man. You don't just say it once. You say it twice. Like you got to like pour salt in the womb here rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. How are you supposed to do that when you're feeling anxious? The key to understanding this meaning is the little prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Paul doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. He says rejoice in the Lord. Lord. That is, we can rejoice when we face adversity. Here comes a big idea. Ready? Because real joy is rooted in God's unchanging character, not in your uncertain circumstances. Real joy is rooted in God's unchanging character, not in your uncertain circumstances. So as Paul suffered, he reminded himself that his imprisonment, no matter how uncomfortable that it may be, his abandonment, no matter how difficult that was, did nothing to alter the character of God. Listen, no matter what is going on in your life, you can rejoice because of who God is. No matter what is happening in your life, the character and the works of God remain the same. The implication is this, our faith in the Lord must be greater than our fear of the future. Our faith in the Lord must be greater than the fear of our future. Jesus demonstrated this principle over in Matthew's gospel. Remember the story if you've read the gospels before? Disciples are out on the boat. Jesus is catching some Z's. And what happens? Suddenly a violent storm arose in the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. How dare he? So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. In this moment, the disciples were not only swamped by the waves, but they were swamped by anxiety. They were overwhelmed. They were overcome in the moment by their circumstances, what was going on them. So why was this the case? At one level, the answer could be simply this. Well, because the storm, right? That's the answer, because the storm. That's why they're anxious, but that's not how Jesus assesses the situation. Look at what he says in verse number 26. And he says to them, why are you afraid, O you of little, what's it say? Faith. Faith. Jesus rebuked his disciples before he rebuked the storm because in the midst of that storm, they had forgotten who was in the boat with them. They'd forgotten the character of the one who lied sleeping in the hole. Can you identify? Do you ever go through life and forget who's in the boat with you? Do you ever forget the character of the one who sent his son into the world to lay down his life on your behalf to rescue you from anything worse than any circumstance you might feel in this life? Have you forgotten in the midst of your uncertainty the certainty of God's character even though the waves may be rocking? Jesus isn't bothered. He's taking a nap. And this is what happens to all of us when we are overcome, when we are swamped by anxiety. In calling us to rejoice, Paul is essentially calling us to remember who God is. Rejoice in the Lord. Remember him? He is the great detail that we tend to forget. Remember the Lord. Remember his character. Remember that no matter what you are enduring, he loves you and has a plan for you. Just listen to the words of scripture. For the Lord, your God, is a sun and shield he gives grace and he gives glory and no good thing does he withhold from those who live with integrity for i know the plans i have for you this is the lord's declaration plans for your well-being not for your disaster to give you a future and a hope and romans 8:28 we know that all things all things all things work together for the good of those who love god who are called according to his purpose do you believe those things that's how you fight worry you rejoice because no matter what's happening in your life, those things are true. God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. We can always rejoice because God's commitment to your good does not change when your circumstances are bad. God is equally committed to your good when everything in your life is falling apart as he is when everything is going great and super fantastic. God is always committed to your good. Good and your circumstances don't change that one bit. So guess what? Rejoice. As counterintuitive as it may seem, God is for you in the midst of your adversity and difficulty. Second strategy. Number two, bless. Now this one's a little more trickier. Paul's second strategy for peace is to bless others. Look at verse number five. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Greek word here translated graciousness—it's a tough one to get into English. There's not like one English word that really summarizes. It's used to describe Jesus over in two Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven. I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's the same word there. Or in the book of Titus, all believers are called to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. You see, when life is challenging. And we are struggling with worry. It can be very tempting for us to, let's say, be less than gracious to other people, right? You're like an animal backed into a corner. I'm worried about myself right now. And if you come close, I'm going to rip your face off. (laughs) Have you ever been nervous about something at work? So you come home and you're short with your family? Have you ever been anxious about a particular relationship and then snapped at a person who had nothing to do with it? Have you ever been so preoccupied with the future that you completely missed an opportunity to be kind in the present? Seems we're masters of collateral damage, are we not? We're really good at hurting other people even when they don't have anything to do with the situation because when we get worried, we get very focused on the big M-E. We must not allow our problems... To cause us to lose sight of other people. We must not allow our problems. To cause us to lose sight of other t- people. The command to let your graciousness be known to all. Is an invitation. By the Lord himself. Away from narcissism and selfishness. It is a call for God to say. Stop thinking about you for a minute. No real humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. It's not being so focused on you that you can't see other people right in front of you. When your problems are so big that you forget that there are approximately seven other billion people on the planet, you've lost perspective. We need to let our graciousness be made known to all. And here's the thing. When you really start caring deeply about others... Even when your life is tough, guess what? Their life is tough too. You know, every single person in this room, your life is tough. That's just the reality. That's humanity, friends. Sometimes we say statements like, I've been through a lot. I get the sentiment. Guess what? Everybody's been through a lot. Not trying to compare our problems with other people's problems, but we are sinners, broken people living in a broken world, and living in this world is a lot. So every other person that you come in contact with has brokenness and hurt and heartache. They're suffering just like you're suffering in some capacity, in some way or another. So let's stop being narcissists and look at other people too. That's how you begin to battle worry in your life. And when you really start being the hands and feet of Jesus, guess what? It gives you perspective. Your problems get put in their proper place. Yeah, this is hard, but guess what? My brother over here, they're hurting too and I need to minister to them. And my sister over here, she's hurting too, and I need to minister to them. God is inviting me by letting my graciousness be known to all, even when my life is hard, to be a conduit of his grace. One of the greatest things that you can do if you are besought with worry, if you are overwhelmed with anxiety, is start caring for someone else. And then your worry will get put in perspective. Number three. Pray. Pray. Rejoice, bless, pray. Look at verse six. Don't worry about anything. Ouch. Anything. Don't worry about anything. Doesn't mean we don't have hard situations. It just means worry is not a godly response ever. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So when we're tempted towards anxiety, the way we fight for peace is to bring our request to the Lord. Now, maybe that just seems like the restatement of the obvious. We're in church after all, we should pray. Like, I mean, maybe that's like super, super evident to all of us. But the question I would ask us is simply this. Do you pray when you're tempted to worry? What's your instinct? When you learn about something difficult, When a challenge comes across your radar, what is your impulse? Do you run to God or do you run to the game of what if? Do you run to God or do you run to Google? Now, I'm not saying any of those things are wrong or implicitly sinful in and of themselves, but we need to have our hearts instinctive impulse when anxiety rears its ugly head for us to run to our heavenly father. Now, I would love to take a long time here and really unpack a doctrine of prayer. But rather than me really giving you my thoughts, I'm simply gonna let the scripture speak for itself this morning. Here's what it says. First Peter chapter 5, verse seven, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Psalm 103, 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we are made, he knows he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. Luke 12, verse 29, don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink and don't be anxious. Why? For your heavenly father knows that you need them. Psalm fifty five, twenty two. cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Here's the idea. God's shoulders are big enough for your burdens. Yours are not. God's shoulders are broad enough for your burdens. So instead of me drilling down deeper into this, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray right now. I'm gonna invite you to pray right now in this moment. We're gonna put some house music on here and I want you to just take about two minutes and cast your cares on the Lord. Everybody got cares in here? I don't think anybody like, I didn't see any robots come in this morning. We scan them at the door, Just humans. So you got cares. So will you cast them on the Lord right now? Take about two minutes and pray. Ready, set. Father, we thank you that you care for us, and so we can cast our cares on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now look, that literally took two minutes. So instead of us playing this infinite, chasing all these anxious thoughts in our mind, why don't we just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't handle these things, you take them just gonna cast them on you? Will you spend several like two minute little periods throughout the day as you are tempted to be anxious? Will you take a moment, and say, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna chase all these rabbits. I'm gonna pause. and I'm gonna give my burdens to the Lord because he wants them and he's strong enough to hold them. Wouldn't your life be changed if you would just do that? Think about if you paused five times tomorrow and cast your cares on the Lord, would it make a difference in the way you live? I, I, I bet it would. All right, number four, focus. Paul's next strategy is simply to focus our minds. Look at verse number eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell, look at that word right there, dwell on these things. So often when facing potentially anxious circumstances, we play a rousing game of what if. That is, we consider every worst case scenario and run down that track ad infinitum. Anybody familiar with that game? Anybody really good at that game? Yeah. It's as if our mind is stuck on a particular track. It's kind of on repeat and it just keeps playing over and over and over and over again. You might hear this and say, Well, of course, of course I do that. Of course I rehearse my worries over and over. But honestly, I can't help it if anxious thoughts are running through my mind. What am I supposed to do? They're just there. I can't change that. But according to Paul in this passage, you can look at what he says. He says, dwell on these things. In other words, he's saying, put your mind on particular things and not on other things. You see, the Bible conceptualizes the mind almost like a muscle that can be consciously and purposely exercised in a specific direction. In addition to Philippians 4, where Paul calls us to dwell on certain things, throughout the scripture, Paul is telling us to actively put our mind on things. Here, let me just read a couple of those passages if you're not convinced right now. Colossians chapter three, verse number two. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Let me ask you a question, active or passive? Active. Okay, next passage. Romans chapter eight, verse number five. Those who live according to the spirit have their mind set on the things of the spirit. Active or passive? Active. One more, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Active or passive? Active. In other words, if we are passive and we simply let every thought that pops into our head rule our thinking, then we are easy prey to anxiety. And it's not biblical, friends. The Bible tells us that we should take every thought captive and bring in subjection to the rule of King Jesus. We must actively engage the way we think. We must focus if we want to battle anxiety and worry in our life. If you follow Paul's counsel and dwell on the true and the honorable, and the just, and the pure, and the lovely, and the commendable, and the excellent, and the praiseworthy. If you really set your mind on those things, on Christ, and his work, and the person of God, and the character of God, and his goodness, and his grace, and the scriptures. If you actively set your mind on those things, guess what? There won't be much room for worry to take root. You will just crowd worry out of your life because your mind will be actively set on these positive things. Or if I could say it very pithily, a mind preoccupied with Christ cannot be occupied by worry. You know why some of you are anxious all the time? Because you're passive. You just think, whatever comes into my mind, that's in charge. No, set your mind on things above. There's a bit of a mean streak to the Christian life. Did you know this? You have to be a little bit tough to follow Jesus. And when those thoughts come up, you're like, nope, mm -mm, nope, not today. I'm rather gonna meditate on scripture. I'm rather gonna set my mind on what Jesus has done. I'm choosing officially not to think on those things, but rather to set my mind on other things. You have to have some self-control. That's one of the fruits of the spirit after all. And it begins right here between your ears where you aim your brain to set it on the things above, not on the things of earth. Sometimes we take the finger cross approach to spiritual growth. Well, I hope I get more spiritual. Or we take the osmosis approach to spiritual growth. Oh, look, oh, John's, John's pretty spiritual. Let me get close to him. Maybe it'll rub off on me. Not a biblical approach to growth. A biblical approach to growth, it says, finally, think on these things. Dwell on these things. And more and more, your character and your preferences will actually begin to be shaped by Jesus and his work. So let me ask you a series of questions. What is on your mind? What are you focusing on? On worry or the word? It's about to get a little uncomfortable, ready? On entertainment or your everlasting father? On sports or the savior? On your finances or the faithful God? On national politics or the power of the almighty? On TikTok or the triune one? On your circumstances? Christ. Sadly today, our social media accounts, our subscription services can predict our behavior perfectly. You know what I'm talking about. They've got the algorithms that read exactly your preferences. Why? Because they've seen you spend some time there. And all the while our Bibles gather dust on the shelf. And we wonder why we're worried. And we wonder why we're just getting besought by, by anxiety on every side. It's because we have allowed our minds to be set on the wrong things, not even evil things. The good, friends, is often the enemy of the best. And you can have a lot of good things in your life that crowd out room for the best things namely Christ and his priority and his rule and reign in your life. How do you battle worry? You focus your mind like your bicep. If you want to get that thing stronger, you work it. You push it. You overload it. And the same thing is in your mind. Pastor Ryan, that's hard. Yes! And that's how you grow. You push into the discomfort. You push into the hardness. And you learn to grow and develop character. No pain. What? No gain. Name your brain, church. Focus, and worry will take less root. Finally, follow. Paul's last strategy for fighting worry is probably the most strange of all of them. And yet, it is terribly helpful. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 9. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So Paul basically tells the Philippians... Get this, to fight worry by following his example. I mean, is this like just just pure hubris? Like Paul's like, I am the worry God. Like what, what is he saying here? Like, hey, do, be like me and you'll worry less. I don't think Paul is boasting here because if you skip down just a couple of verses, go down to verse number 12. Here's what Paul says. I now know how to make do with little And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all my circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. So track myth be here. Put your theological thinking caps on for a moment. Paul is saying God had taught him not to be anxious even when he was strapped for cash and even when he was flush. Like Paul's like, I've been in both circumstances and the Lord has taught me how not to worry in that. And now Paul is saying, man, God has given me this understanding and I really wanna give it to you. I wanna share what God has taught me. So follow my example because my example is an evidence of God's grace in my life. And I want you to experience that same grace. This reminds us of a critically important principle, namely this, it takes time for God to teach us. It takes time for God to teach us. Here's what I mean. When you trust in Jesus, God does not teach you everything you need to know about following him in a moment. He doesn't do some sort of spiritual data jump where you go from zero to hero in a service. No, growing in godliness takes time. And listen, this is the blessing of being part of the body of Christ. You don't have to figure out everything on your own, but you actually benefit from others' perspective who have gone before us. Paul was a little bit further down the road than the Philippians. And he's basically saying to them, listen, here's what God's taught me, and I want you to benefit from that. You don't have to go to the school of hard knocks. I already did. Benefit from the things that I have learned. Follow my example. And look... This is an absolutely critical reminder in our radically individualistic culture. Did you know we live in a culture of individualism? Here's the message of our culture. You don't need other people's opinions. You've got to be true to your what? And is there an element of truth in that? Of course. You know, but a little bit of poison still poisons the whole thing. The problem with this is this. We are not wise by default. When little babies are born into the earth, guess what? They fools. You got to teach them everything. I mean, they don't know. Don't stick your finger in the outlet. Like they don't know that. They don't come like with that coded somehow. Don't run in the street. I mean, some of my children, like, they're double digits. They still don't know that, right? (laughs) Like, you have to teach them that. Why? Because they're foolish by nature. And guess what? That's not just true of us physically. That's true of us spiritually. We are foolish by nature, and we need to develop wisdom intentionally by learning for the example of wise people who have gone before us. We need godly believers who have navigated life's difficulties. We need to listen and learn and observe. We live in an instant world where shortcuts and life hacks are par for the course. Everybody's looking for a quicker way, a speedier way, an instant way, and yet there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. We are not wise by default. We need the wisdom of others to speak into our life. Look, if you are making decisions in isolation from other godly people, other more mature godly people, even other people that are probably in a different generation than you, you're being foolish. You're not taking advantage of the blood-bought gift of the body of Christ that he has given us. Don't be so foolish to assume that we have it all figured out on ourselves. If you're not listening to other people's perspective, if people can't correct you, you're living a Disney life. Follow your heart, not a Christian life. Follow Christ. We have to be people who follow the example of other godly people who have gone before us. We cut ourselves off from a rich gift of God, a grace that he has entrusted to us, if we do not benefit from the perspective of other people who are more mature, or we at least perceive to be more mature in the faith. And by the way, especially when they disagree with you. It's not really listening to counsel if you only listen to people who agree with you. Well, I sought advice and they told me the same thing. What did you do with the people that didn't tell you the same thing? That's growing in wisdom and discernment. That we need to be willing to allow spiritually seasoned people work in our lives. Here, here's a great example of this. Um, how many of you have prayed with Robert Hall before? Here's Robert over here. How many of you have prayed with Robert? Okay. Robert knows how to pray. He leads our prayer team. He's like the captain, you know, of the prayer team. We'll get him a sweater. Um, Do you think that Robert knows how to pray like he prays now, like on the day he first became a believer, or no? No, that was a process, right? Like, spiritual growth is not magic. It's it's more like a wrestling match or a race than it is like a magician. Farmers rather than magicians. I used this a couple weeks ago. The idea is Robert grew in that. And look, if you want to know how to pray, it's dumb for you not to say, Robert, will you pray with me? You're just not taking advantage of the gift or going to another mature believer that knows how to pray and say, hey, can I pray with you? Can I learn from your example? We need to learn from the example of others so that we fight worry and anxiety in our life and not just repeat the same mistakes over and over because we're fools rather than trying to grow in wisdom. Follow the examples of others. So you might hear all this and say, Ryan, man, those sound like great strategies, and and I really would love some peace. And those promises are wonderful. But is it really possible? Is peace really possible? I I know we said it, but how do I get that into my life? How do I move from peace being possible to being personal? How do I move from peace being accessible or, Or to being, yeah, to being accessible, to being in my personal life. How do I experience that peace in my life? The blessing is, is that Christ has done what is necessary for us to experience that peace. Here's why. The fundamental problem with humanity is not our circumstances. Now, sometimes our circumstances are hard. Everybody in this room has some hard circumstances, No question about that. Circumstances are hard, but that is not our fundamental problem. Our problem is actually even more significant. The problem with humanity is that our relationship with God was deeply fractured. That is, we not only had no peace in the world, we had no peace with God. And that's even more tragic. But God in his grace, in his mercy, in his kindness, was not to content to leave us in this peaceless condition. So he sent his son into the world to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died to mend the breach that existed between God and man. Jesus came to make peace between heaven and earth. Romans chapter five, verse number one. We have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus did what none of us could do and mended the gap between God and man. And now because of that, if you've trusted in that wonderful message that Christ came to give you peace with God, the God of peace draws near to you. And he now bestows his peace on you. Because look, everything else in this world can go haywire. Everything. Your relationships, your finances, our culture. I mean, we we have World War III. Everything in this world could go haywire. But guess what? If you've trusted in the work of Jesus, you have the peace that really matters the peace that trumps every other peace. You have peace with God. And nothing, nothing in all of the world, nothing Satan or his minions, nothing no human being, nothing no evil dictator could do can take away that peace. You have peace with God. And if you bask in that reality, then you can have peace in this world. Jesus came into this world to give us the peace that really counts so that we could experience the peace here and now. Listen, we have peace because he is our peace. You can endure life's circumstances with peace because you have peace with Jesus. Whatever else is happening in your life, the peace that God gives cannot be taken away from those who trust in him. Here's how it says it in the book of Romans. Who can separate us from the love or the peace of Christ? Can affliction? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? No, no, and no. Can high gas prices? Can conflict in the Ukraine? Can a global pandemic? Can you losing your job? Can a loss of a loved one? Can misunderstanding? No. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things. That's all y'all. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can have peace because Christ made peace to the ultimate relationship that really matters. The peace with God flows into our peace in the world, not the other way around. So fight for peace. I wanna close by offering just a couple suggestions in terms of what we do about this. There's simply this. The first thing is this, rely. Rely on others. I I, I talked about this idea that we should pray and that we should lean on the example of others through the message. And we're gonna sing in just a moment. And I wanna invite you right now to fight for peace by praying with someone else. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to stand by. If you wanna pray with them, Robert's gonna be over there, so there'll be a long line. There's other people that know how to pray in our church too. Or somebody sitting right next to you. I want to encourage you to rely on others and fight for peace. Just cast your cares on the Lord. Ask your brothers and sisters to help you in that regard. And then second, I want to ask you to remember. Remember who God is. Remember his character. We're going to sing a song right now. And I hope I'm not going to get in trouble or make anybody mad. But I I just feel like the Lord's laying this on my heart right now. Like a lot of us come from a a whole bunch of different worship traditions and um, we express ourselves differently in worship. And you know what? That's awesome. No problem there. Sometimes you might see me up here during worship and I'm like just stomping and pointing. And it's it's a very like aggressive style of worship. I don't do that because I'm like a super emotive person. I do that because I'm fighting to believe. Like, worship for me, singing is like a whole bodied experience because I'm like, soul, believe that. That is who God is. Stop with these stupid thoughts about God doesn't love you. That's false. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Your life is too hard. No, it's not. God doesn't give you more than you can bear. Things aren't going the way you planned because your plans stink. His plans are better. And so I want to sing in just a minute and and I would would ask you to be a little bit violent. Now, I don't mean you got to be silly or stupid or something that's not you. But will you fight right here? This helps me fight right here. This helps me. Maybe it doesn't help you. But I, I, I would just encourage you to like, let's not let fear... Like this is a war. We must fight. This is so counterintuitive. We have to fight for peace. Fight. It's maybe the most precious commodity in the world. Fight for peace. So two things, rely, pray, and remember, sing. You with me? All right, Father, would you meet with us right now? Cause your people to remember who you are through your word, through your promises. Cause your people to lean on one another. May we run and receive help to fight worry and anxiety and experience the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when we do these things, Lord, you have promised in your word that you, the God of peace, will draw near. So come. Draw near to us right now in our anxiety-soaked world. May we be people of peace. In the name of Christ, I pray. Let's stand on our feet and worship the Lord.